Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, we're talking to Pete Crockett, a retired head teacher and governor, and my colleague, Linda Udenhara, senior content editor at The Key. We are talking about all things governance, thinking about how to get balance right between support and challenge, what great chairing looks like, remote governance and opportunities and challenges that that is providing right now, and how to get more diverse boards. As ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I am joined by Pete Crockett, who is a retired head teacher and governor, and uh, Linda Udenhara, who is a senior content editor at The Key and also a governor. Hi to both of you. Hello. Um, hello. Um, Pete, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself um, before we kick off. Right, if I start from the back, back part of my career, I'm a retired head teacher, formerly head of a special school. Worked in a number of settings, worked in mainstream secondary education up to assistant head teacher level, then transferred across to special education and special school education. Running parallel with that, I've been a governor for probably the best part of 30 years, either as a staff governor, as a co-opted governor, a volunteer governor in another school, and as the governor now of two schools, on a multi-academy trust, two special schools. So it's that sort of background I'm bringing to it, both as a head teacher and a senior leader who's worked with governors, and somebody who's been on the other side of the table as well as in doing the governor role. Gosh, really, really valuable to have um, both sides of that, which sort of brings me on to um, my first question, really. And regular listeners to the podcast will know that I am also a governor. So us governors, we're, we're required to walk quite a, a fine line between support and, and challenge with, with school leaders. It's very easy to say support and challenge. It can be harder to do. And this year, I mean, there's been necessarily a focus on support because schools have faced some really tough challenges. So how do we make sure that we don't neglect our duty to to hold school leaders to to account and and we do provide that appropriate challenge? Uh, Pete, what are your thoughts there? I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? In the context of COVID, with everything that's being thrown at head teachers, that balance between what they what the support we offer and the challenge we put in. And uh, you know, I, I just come to the conclusion that you know, in this present time, we have to make that balance towards support. And if some challenge goes by the wayside, so be it in the short term. Because you know, if you look at it from a school leader point of view, their challenge at the moment is managing the day-to-day demands that arise from COVID. They're almost um, doing the day-to-day stuff. And actually, if you look at their leadership role, it's more about motivation and leadership than it is about having the time to strategically think through a three-year school improvement plan with all the stuff on COVID that's hitting them. So I think, you know, it's, it, it, we, our first priority has to be supporting to survive the day and ensure that pupils have some meaningful educational experience. And if they've achieved that, I think that's a fantastic success in their own right. And the governors have helped them to achieve that. The governors have done a fantastic job too. Yeah, and, and Linda, I'm interested to hear hear your thoughts because I think, you know, everything you're saying there, Pete, is, you know, perfectly reasonable. But, you know, governors might be 
concerned that they're not fulfilling. Um, all I was going to say was that over the summer we had um, we'd done a uh, a webinar on uh, for governors to um, help their schools through kind of this recovery period. And obviously, you know, the recovery period is is going further, like longer and longer, as a result of of more lockdowns and um, you know just more challenges as the pandemic grows. Um, but I, I agree that it that it's 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 vitally important that that governors continue to carry on their their roles. But I do think that there needs to be a shift, you know, where um, where the focus used to be on a school improvement plan that would have driven the school forward um, based on on its improvements year on year. All of that has has um, necessarily got to take a back burner at this stage because right now. Um, the, the pandemic has created challenges for safeguarding um, that are unprecedented. The, the lockdown has created challenges for staffing that are unprecedented. And um, with that in mind, I think that governors need to be really thoughtful about the challenge that they provide um, rather than, you know, looking for top questions to ask if you're the link governor for X. Um, I think that governors need to spend more time being really thoughtful, not just about the questions that they ask, but the evidence that they ask school leaders to produce, um, because well-being is more important than ever right now. And governors play a big part in that in terms of, you know, what sorts of pressures they put on school leaders. That's not to say that governors should back off full stop, but um, it does. I, I am suggesting that governors need to be much, much more thoughtful in terms of how they how they provide that challenge to schools while still ensuring that they're that they're monitoring that pupils are still getting a meaningful educational experience and that staff are still being properly supported and that the school is operating, you know, as best it can in light of these challenges. Yeah, and I, I think it, so many of um, the sort of processes around around running schools and 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 governance. Um, you know, are so are so fixed around the the rhythm of the the year, mm. and at this meeting you're doing this, and you're seeing that yeah. document, or you know, the assessment works around however many drops of data, all these kinds of things, and it's almost like you, especially sort of September and autumn term meetings, because there isn't any other skeleton or framework. You kind of go, well, this this feels a bit lacking if I'm not signing off the SDP or, you know, all of, all of these things. But um, I think it's getting, getting people comfortable with that or where you, where you may, may have all of that skeleton in place on the premise that children are going to be in school for the full year and then they might not be. So, you know, everything is still feels very like we will have to be responsive. We will have to be live to all those changes as, as they come. But um because I have two such such experts here, um, perhaps it would be interesting to think about um, how should governors challenge effectively in a kind of situation normal in a sort of non non COVID time. Because I think I think it still can be quite difficult to um, to, to challenge um, 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 school leaders um, sometimes and, and, and get to those kind of um, key questions. Um, what are you What are your thoughts on it on it more generally? Um, I'll start with Linda and then I'll come to Pete. Um, I think that uh, just based on, on on the experience that we've had with questions that governors have asked us, um, that the first thing to know is is to know what challenge actually means, what it actually looks like. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that if you were to do a Google search for how to challenge, um, what you end up with is a long list of questions that looks a bit like the Spanish Inquisition. 
um, doesn't really have any instructions on how to use these questions or what a good answer looks like or what you're trying to achieve by asking these questions. So um, I think the first thing that governors need to do, again, it goes with being thoughtful. Unfortunately, governance isn't a tick box exercise. You know, it's something where you actually have to look at your school improvement plan or recovery plan, as the case may be right now, and think about what it is that you are actually trying to achieve in short, mid, long term, and then asking really thoughtful questions about how you're getting there. But on top of that, as you ask these questions, as a governor, it should always be in the back of your mind. How can I support you? to achieve these goals. What do you need from me? Um, what do you need me to advocate to the rest of the board? What do you need me to, to advocate with school leaders? You know, what, wh wh where, where are our shortcomings? Why are, for, for the goals that, that aren't being attained, where are the shortcomings and what can we do to support you to, um, to meet those goals? But again, that has to come from, from being a very thoughtful governor rather than simply printing off uh, a sheet of questions and going and feeling armed. And, and, and your thoughts there, Pete, because obviously you've experienced it from, from both sides. <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I think of governments, the best governors I've worked with were the ones that were intellectually curious. They would ask some really testing questions that went beyond just information gathering. It was the, what difference is this going to make? What's the time scale you're going to impose? What are the challenges you envisage coming from this initiative? And those sorts of questions, I think, are really important. So that intellectual curiosity to go beyond just information gathering and really drill into how it's going to operate and what impact it's going to have are really crucial. I think also in the past, you know, governors got a feel of a school, didn't they, by being able to walk around it and monitor, and that bit's gone. Mm. And that's really difficult for governors because when you did your visit to a school, you could, you know, if you walk around a school, you can very quickly pick up a feel of its mood and its ambience and whether people are tense, whether people are happy, whether the youngsters look happy. And suddenly that's all been removed from governors. Why aren't by the COVID crisis? Mm. That's a real challenge for them. I think the other one is to actually be, for want of a better phrase, creative in terms of what you challenge. If we go back to COVID, mm. actually there's a lot of good things happening from COVID that can actually be built into a school improvement plan. You know, you think about supporting people and staff wellbeing during times of stress. That's a challenge that schools are already meeting. If you think about um, developing new methods of enhancing parental partnership through online communication, Schools mm -hmm. are doing that more often. Mm -hmm. You think about developing remote learning that could be used in the future to benefit pupils who are excluded, unwell, or suspended learning in homework. Mm. Schools are doing that. So there are things we can build into our challenge that are arising from COVID that schools are already doing without them having to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. It was really interesting, actually. I was at um, my school's outcomes uh, committee and we were talking about be behaviour. And, um, you know, all the behavioural instances were down. They were saying children much more settled in their bubbles. It's, qu it's quite a large school, but now children's worlds are smaller, fewer children in the, the dining hall, behaviour much better at lunchtime and all of these kinds of things. And I said, well, if we'd come up with this initiative and we'd said we want children, I don't know, in family groups or whatever, we'd go, this has been great. We've really you know, cracked this. It's brilliant. Um, but it's but it's come about, you know, forced and, and we've seen it as something, you know, negative that we just have to get on with. But as you say, it's it's got positives, too. I think that is really interesting. And I think also about asking, asking questions as a governor, it's often people feel concerned that they don't they don't know what the right answer would be. So then they don't feel comfortable asking the question. 
And I think, you know, it's something that I've I've come to terms with, with after a long time. You're not you're not expected to be an expert yeah. and you're not expected to have the answer. You're listening to the thinking that is going on at a school level and trying to understand if it, if that's plausible, realistic, desirable and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, it is. Um, and you're even just testing out whether that thinking has a, a quality to its rationale. Yeah. And even just testing out that and making the senior leaders recount their thinking is invaluable in its own right. I've been in several meetings where I've had to present as an idea as a head teacher. And halfway through, I thought, that isn't particularly well thought out. I need to go back and think about that. Because actually, if I can't rationalise it to my governing body, how am I going to rationalise it to the parent community? So sometimes that question can just force you to have a rethink. Think, look, I'm going to put this on hold. Can I come back to this at the next meeting? Everyone knows the value. That can be a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone knows the value of being able to think out loud. And, you know, school leaders um, often feel quite isolated, especially head teachers. And, and, you, and you have to look at, at your role as governor as actually presenting an opportunity rather than to challenge and make things difficult for that school leader. But as, a, as an opportunity to be a sounding board to, um, you know, to offer questions in return to help them think it through. Yeah. And I, you know, one of my best inspectors I ever worked with happened to be an Oscar inspector. What he did, which was initially I took on with trepidation, but actually he was brilliant because he would ask those questions, would draw me into having to give the account that I might have to give to somebody independent who would hold me to account, mm. but without being threatening. And actually, I'd rather do that in front of my governing body than have the Ofsted inspector ask me it three months later without me having had time to prepare a thought around it. Yeah, and, So also developing, dra dragging out those answers is really important. And as you say, it's about the the mood that you have within that within that group and where the support yeah. and challenge is balanced. So as you say, it's it's low threat and also the timing of it, as you, as you say, you know, it's much better to force yourself to rationalize this thinking or do these exercises before um, a, a, a more high stakes um, conversation yeah. or before you've already been doing it for three terms. <laughs> then someone says, why? this again can you yeah. tell me about it because obviously you're going to be a lot more defensive um at that at that point and it's not as it's not as helpful um so yeah i think there's a there's a lot there's a lot to think about there and um in a, in a you know sort of similar area i think governors can sometimes get drawn into operational um conversations and again, you know, this this period that we're talking in, um, beginning of beginning of November, um, you know, there's a big logistical decisions that have been made in schools, and you know, some governing bodies have been probably more involved in in that, and there's more of a risk of it happening. Um, what do both of you think about, you know, how you can avoid um, governors getting too involved in in the logistics? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because then on the one hand, as a governor, I would want to be a sounding board for a senior leader or school manager, school leader, if they were coming mm -hmm. in with an issue. And actually to be that sounding board that listened to their concerns and actually let them offload what their thinking was. But there has to be that line where you're one step removed and actually you always have to pass back. That's really interesting. Mm. What's the decision you're you know, how, what's the decision you're gonna reach? And actually almost hand back the decision making to them. What you can't be involved in actually the decision-making process itself because actually it's an operational decision. And it's a really thin line and a difficult line to tread, isn't it? Because you want to be supportive. You want to be there and say, well, actually, you thought this through and I'm going to be behind the decision you've reached. Yeah. But yeah. actually, you ultimately can't make that operational decision. I think that... Uh, do so. 
Yeah, as soon as as soon as a governor finds himself in a position where they're actually advocating one side or the other in the course of one of these these conversations, that's really the point where the governor needs to step back, um, because that's that's not uh, the governor's role. Um, and 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 frankly, I mean, I can see. I can see where there might be confusion because governors have been dragged into some um, some operational decisions as of late. Uh, the the biggest one I can think of is um, is having to approve the risk assessments for schools reopening, which was a big surprise to governing boards who had never even really ever looked at a risk assessment. And suddenly, you know, it's it doesn't get much more high stakes in life or death in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but I hope that governors recognize that that was kind of a one off. Um, and that governor's role still remains strategic. School leaders are going to need that sounding board. They're going to need somebody to talk these things off of. But as Pete said, you've got to hand that ultimate decision back to school leaders. Yeah, and I think sometimes it does, it sort of starts as a bit of a slippery slope, doesn't it? Somebody sort of goes, oh, I used to work somewhere where they did it like this, you know, or something like that. You know, it comes from a spirit of, you know, maybe you've got a professional background in something or, you know, trying to trying to help somebody do their job better. But as you say, it's like, how do you how do you pull back out of that and realize that that's not the function of the governing body? Um, yeah. And, and I think it is almost that question. It's almost when you've had discussion. So what is the decision you're going to reach to think? Mm. So actually, you are, you are then handing back that decision. And it was almost actually asking that question, you're almost having it on a script. Mm. At the end of the conversation, you, you know, you're going to ask, yeah, and then follow it up with, "What can I do to help you get there?" Yes, and that's the second part of it. Actually, yeah, very good. Oh, there you go. Um, top tip there. Um, and you know, we've 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 alluded to you know the fact that we're you know we're still in remote governance mode and and set to continue for for quite quite a while. But we are perhaps moving slightly out of the kind of survival mode, only meet when absolutely necessary and get what you have to get done done to sort of thinking about how how we might improve um, our practice as as remote governors. I just wondered if either of you have have, um, come across anything sort of innovative or or have any thoughts about this. Not unduly. I think it's interesting, isn't it? One of, you know, I've heard of schools where actually, you know, whether in partnership arrangements mm. or whether in maths, they've actually put two schools have combined together some of their governors' meetings to reduce travel and to reduce the number of meetings that, say, key members mm. of staff have. So that's been inevitable. But that's, I think we're still, at the moment, finding our way around this. Yeah. Um, and Linda, have you have you seen anything um, uh, around how, how people are trying to do remote governance a little bit a little bit better? Um, we are. It, it, it's still an area where people are trying to find their feet. Um, I'll be really honest with that. Um, we have had some guidance from the DFE in terms of how to how to do exclusions hearings remotely. And because it's been applied directly to exclusions within the guidance, we we think that it's probably reasonable to expand that out to other types of hearings, such as complaints and, and grievances, in terms of like how to decide whether or not you need to do it this way, um, what considerations that you have to have about whether or not um, this is uh, this is a reasonable burden on all parties involved. Um, but I think that when it comes to things like um, doing school visits, uh, you know that that's still that's still a developing area, and it's one that, that that we're watching very keenly because we are we are just as curious to 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 find these innovations and to share them uh, with people as 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 they come about. Yeah, 
And it's also interesting because actually Zoom World does actually give you some opportunities. I was talking to a governor quite recently who talked about how they almost preferred the Zoom meetings because actually in terms of their work schedule, it yeah. was actually easier for them to get involved in a meeting without having to travel halfway across the town at rush hour. Mm. Oh, and absolutely. And actually offered them benefits. And actually they were more focused in that meeting because of it. It saves me three a, hours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, yeah. So it, there are opportunities in Zoom meetings as well that could actually transfer on post-COVID. Mm. It, you know, I can see a time possibly where schools alternate meetings between face-to-face meeting, Zoom meeting. They do seem to be shorter in my in my experience. The sort of quality of interaction is is different, but potentially, as you say, kind of more efficient. Um, and something that I find is, you know, happens less on the on a remote call is sort of people talking through a paper because you're there sort of going like we've all got it on the screen (laughs) can we just get to the conversation kind of thing um but it is um it is obviously as you say an evolving picture and i think you know it's it sent very sensibly not not everybody's first priority when there are you know um greater greater concerns around children's well-being and education um, but you know, but to, to build on to, to what Pete had said earlier, uh, I think that that remote governance offers a set of um, of opportunities as well, because you know where where you might be in a very small school in a very small village where um, key skills might be lacking in the immediate area. Um, moving to remote governance um, enables you to recruit from further away, uh, which would then, um, I mean, for instance, you know, where where I know a lot of areas tend to really struggle to recruit governors, London tends to be the exact opposite, where there are more potential governors than there are available, available spaces. So being able to spread those skills across the country, it's a real opportunity to, um, you know, to improve governance nationwide, um, if we can just embrace this style of governance. Yeah, it's it's a it is a huge a huge shift in thinking because um, I think I mentioned this before actually on the podcast, but a good few years ago, governors for schools were thinking about how they could solve recruitment challenges by doing exactly that, recruiting people in in London, say, to support rural schools. But at the time, people sort of going, oh, having somebody who doesn't actually come to all of the meetings, I can't see how that would work, uh, you know, and here we are in a different in a different world. Um, so, yeah, as you say, potential opportunities there. Now, I'm- another one I have was actually joining in with some online safeguarding training that was delivered to the whole staff mm. from home. And that was, again, fantastic. It was actually, you know, I didn't have to get in the car. I was sat there, I was watching the training, I was engaged in training with the staff, albeit at stage distance. But it, it was a it was an interesting opportunity that perhaps would enable governments to more easily join in the staff training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another potential tool that's and, and you, arisen from online governance. And you can attend for only as long as you need to. You're not yeah. staying there for the whole inset day out of politeness or you no. know other things like that. Uh, no, no yeah. you miss obviously you miss those social exchanges that are also a key part of the process, and that's the flip side of it. Yeah, almost. You maybe you just need to build in kind of five minutes of everybody chit chatting <laughs> yeah. before you crack on with the the meat of the business. Um, so, um, Pete, I I really loved your blog about um, the qualities of of being a good chair of governors, and I know from my own experience, being a chair of governors has never been particularly easy. <laughs> um, no. So perhaps you could you know kind of summarise some of your ideas there and share them with listeners. 
what I yeah what I wrote was really based around my experience as a head and as a senior leader, having watched some mm. fantastic chairs of the government. And I, yeah, I've been very lucky. I've, I've met with chairs of government or have worked with chairs of government who are absolutely brilliant and committed and 100% dedicated. It's a heck of a role to take on, mm. you know, as a volunteer. Responsibilities that fall on them as a volunteer are immense. In terms of what I was writing about, I basically came up with seven C's of governance, chair of governance. The first one was being candid. And when I met with my chairs of governors, I wanted them to be candid. I didn't want them to say what they thought I wanted to hear. Mm. Particularly when I was having my one-to-one meetings with them, I wanted constructively critical questions. Telling me what I wanted to hear didn't serve me particularly well as the head. The chairs of governors really probed and asked questions that sometimes got quite close to being constructively critical in an uncomfortable way, but not without being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Those questions were invaluable. The other one was capable. One of my nightmares is ahead, and you sometimes, you know, I do some consultancy work where sometimes the organisation of the governance meetings falls disproportionately sometimes to the head. Now, that isn't the way it should be. You know, I want to, you know, where the chair of governance table gets the agenda sorted, doesn't drop a, we need this paper tomorrow, or tomorrow's meeting on the head's desk. Where the government, chair of governance is capable, that makes a massive difference to how well the head can do their job. And it, it sounds basic, but actually it makes, you know, the difference it makes is in, you know, I've been in situations where occasionally the chair of governance has asked me for a paper the day before, mm. and you could tear your hair out because they, you know, you might be dealing with a safeguarding crisis or whatever. So that capability to be organised, well organised, the most important one for me in some respects is being child centred. Or client centered, whichever way you want to mm. do. But I would, it, the first question I would want any governor to ask me is, what difference does this make to the pupils in the school? And if I can't answer that question in what I'm presenting, I probably need to go away and think again, because actually, virtually every decision I make as a, as made as a head should make a difference on the youngsters. Fourth one, compassionate. If you're leading a disciplinary meeting as a chair of governors, or Saturn, you know, taking the lead role in that, you're dealing with somebody's future and you need to be compassionate about it. If you're dealing with a disciplinary meeting you know, or an exclusion, the emotions are going to be high. Mm. And I think the best chairs I've met would not flinch from reaching the right decisions, but they would do so in a really compassionate way. Alongside that is the fifth C of being composed. Sometimes governors' meetings can get emotive, particularly, you know, if you have issues that do a closely held beliefs by somebody and that ability to be composed and just paraphrase the arguments without getting into the personalities absolutely crucial constructive as a head sometimes it's a lonely old job as a school leader and having a chair of governance come in and just say something constructive like, you know i really like the displays out in the entrance or even something as simple as that or i was really pleased to see you if you're in the press with some good work that the pupils have done can really just give you a lift governing board the chair of governance is on board with what's going on and taking an interest and then the last one again an important one is to be courageous sometimes the flack will fly and sometimes criticism can be unfair and hurtful and the best chairs in those situations will be alongside the head and staff when undeserved criticism is made but there's another side to courageous which is sometimes the criticism can be justified and the school can sometimes and school leaders we, you know, we're a brittle bunch sometimes we can become self-protective. And sometimes we need the chair of governance to say, well, actually, I thought they might have a point in what they were saying. But 
you know, so that courageousness to actually address the issue, depending on whether it's one that needs courage of support or the courage of actually just posing the question. Actually, those who are criticised, they might just have a point on this bit. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, very, very relatable. And, uh, you know, I, I think on that last point particularly, you know, you, you, you want to support the school, the children, the staff with all your heart, but you do have to keep that, that foot in the outside world because you're there to hold those people to account. And, yeah. you know, as you say, where there's, where there's valid um, criticism, um, you know, take a more, take a more impartial view. Um, and that, that is really, that does re require courage. I think that's a, that's a re there's some really good words. They're really good words. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I can't think of anything to add, um, to that one. Uh, you know, obviously chairs have an incredibly heavy burden, um, because, you know, on, on top of holding school leaders to account, they're also the ones who are wrangling hamsters when it comes to the, when it comes to the board itself. Um, but yeah, I, I do like Pete's point about courage, um, because I think that one of the hardest things about about holding school leaders to account is that a school leader that's in trouble <laughs> is probably the most difficult to um, to hold to account because things get very emotional. Um, but I I, I would re I'd suggest that any chair read read that particular blog post. The seven C's are, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? How how much training is there ever out there for, say, chairs of government in dealing with those times of challenge in a school? You know, man, supporting a head teacher colleague or a team of school leaders, say, or the whole staff who just had a difficult Ofsted that hasn't gone the way they expected, is a really difficult situation for a chair of government between not encouraging schools not to face perhaps some of the issues, difficult issues that have arisen, yet at the same time finding enough of the positive things within a report, say, to make the film, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a as a as a content editor, um, I I do know that that at the key for school governors, um, our most popular content tends to be that which which focuses on those soft areas of chairing, such as how to manage difficult relationships with a head teacher, or how to manage difficult governors, or um, you know. We, we, we have guidance on what to do after a bad Ofsted result, yes. which is, you know, about, you know, how to talk to school leaders about what's happened and maintain your, your very important role of pulling up out of that dive and at the same time keeping up morale. Yeah. And yeah. it is a tough role, that one. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And, and you do, just as a chair, come across situations quite frequently that are not, that are not well rehearsed or predictable. <laughs> Um, you know, especially around kind of complaints or other issues if process hasn't been followed or all these, you know, you, you, you live in fear checking your emails because it's going to be some, something else. Um, so, yeah, no, it's uh, you just courage is a good one. Um, but, yeah, we'll put a link to that blog in the um, in the description of the, the podcast. Um, and just just coming on to think about obviously the, there's a, a, a new version of the governance handbook now. And um, there's there's a there's a focus a bit more of a focus in that around diversity, um, and explicitly sort of stating that boards should reflect the communities they they serve. Um, I'm curious to know why you think this this, this hasn't happened uh, to to date, and and any thoughts you both have about how schools can um, encourage greater diversity on on governing boards. Linda, do you want to kick off there? I, I really can't 
can't speak to why this has been a problem up to now. I'm, I'm sure you can tell from my accent that I am from America. So, um, so I, I don't know what the historical background is to this. But, um, but in terms of moving forward, um, I think you know obviously outreach is a is a big part of the issue. You know, just just ensuring that when you go out recruiting for um, for governors that you you make you know, a, a particular plea for, for the, you know, to the local community, um, that, that you reach that local community and, and, and maybe do a better job of explaining what the role of a governor is and reassuring, um, you know, very busy parents or very busy local business leaders that, um, that the role isn't going to overtake their lives or be more than they can handle, um, and and also again, this goes back to to the opportunities presented by more remote governance, the opportunity to um, to use remote remote things like Zoom can actually increase um, increase participation for for people that otherwise might might feel like they don't have the time. So um, so I think that there's a real opportunity at the same presenting itself at the same time that you know we're once again being urged. To, to get this done and, and with good reasons. So, um, but I would be curious to know what, 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 what the uh, traditional barriers to this have been. I think it's also interesting. It's also about taking the opportunities arise. Hopefully whenever we get through COVID, we go back to some of the normal types of school arrangements. I remember a chair of government who I particularly respected. He was very, very good at coming in for, say, for parents' evenings or for parental for parent forums the school had. And literally, as people, have you ever thought of being a governor? Because actually, and talking through what the role means, because actually for some parents, they see the whole governor title is quite intimidating in its own right. When you ask them the question, well, are you interested in the school? Would you like to know a little bit more about some of the decisions they reach? And would you like to have some say in that? People are much more receptive to that idea. And certainly, you know, from the parent forum I recently went to, I can think of the uh, we picked up basically two governors from diverse backgrounds because we had parent governor vacancy. They said, would you consider being governor? Both of them came on board. Mm. So it's using those forums when they do arise to actively recruit and go beyond just the, you know, and take it, you know, the chair of governors is there doing that. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, actually, in a, just just what's happened in my own school where I'm a governor, um, there was a there was a period of time a couple of years ago where, um, where the school uh, was being picketed for some decisions that it had made. And the head teacher um, actually went out to the picket lines and recruited governors <laughs> out, out of the picket saying, if you want if you want a say in this, if you want to be heard, then you're going to have to be a part of this process. Here's an application form. And uh, increased diversity on the board pretty significantly, very quickly. And actually sometimes there's a benefit to having some of those who are critical inside the tent rather than outside mm-hmm. it. Because actually, you pick up the criticism firsthand and you can either refute it quickly if it's unjustified or actually go away and think, actually, I don't. That was uncomfortable, but the point they made was a legitimate one. We aren't very good at that. No. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also something about, um, you know, making the role um, manageable in, in the first instance for people and having having a clear way for people to access it um, because I think, you know, often if somebody has, say, been, the, you know, on the board for 20 years, they're talking, they're talking a whole new language 
um, of, you know, with the head and of the history of the school and all of this kind of thing. And actually being able to have you know, some clear documents. What are the expectations of a governor? What are the t terms of references of these you know, committees and stuff? But making them actually readable so people understand what is the job? What do you need from people? So that it doesn't just seem like this kind of closed, closed club where people who can speak the language speak to each other, um, I think is important as well. And actually just encouraging a culture where it's legitimate to ask for clarification. Mm. You know, you sit in a governor's meeting and the acronyms that fly around, if you're a new governor, it must be a total nightmare. Um, you know, those of us who are in teaching, yeah. throw them out because they're our everyday language. So for us, we're using our everyday language and sometimes it does, you know, I can mm. sit my mind in the head on occasions. Actually, I've walked away from this governor's meeting, I've used about 15 acronyms. How many people really get for a new governor? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, uh, it's, it's very different being able, you know, at a time when people are able to go into school, visit, maybe yeah. have some time one-on-one -on -one with a member of SLT and ask those questions and get their head around it versus now where they might just be thrown into the thick of it. Um, worth, worth thinking about how to, how to make your school understandable to somebody new, quickly, on a page. Um, <laughs> that, de that definitely goes into... Um asking boards to uh, focus a bit more on how they induct new governors mm. to make sure that it's being done quickly and effectively um, because it, it it is taking too long for new governors to get up to speed. A hundred percent. And I mean, it, it, it moves more slowly than lots of other functions of school life because, you know, meetings are a lot less frequent, um, but that's not an excuse for making it take, you know, as you say, it can, can take a really long time for governors to, to get up to speed. Um, Interestingly, one governing body I'd worked on a long time ago that was an ex I thought it was a brilliant idea. Actually, if a new governor joined, they were given another member of the governing body as a buddy governor, mm. who was their first port of call if they had a question. So they, they exchanged phone numbers, whatever. And if that governor saw something in a minute and wanted to check, to check what it meant, they could phone their buddy governor without having to sort of show themselves of not understanding it in a full meeting. That's a great idea. I wish that that was that was more more the case in, in more boards maybe now you need to sort of buddy buddy people up on zoom so that they can be kind of messaging each other so what's what are they talking about yeah. maybe set up a little pen pal program yeah it was interesting I, I, I thought it did have some merit to the, to the idea that it was easy to actually ask a question to somebody outside of a meeting having read a paper mm. sort of covers beforehand until you're asking it in the meeting in front of everybody yeah yeah, exactly. Sometimes, yeah, if you, if you don't have that understanding, you're not going to be able to ask an effective question in the meeting because you'd be so scared about saying, um, yeah, what's this all about? Um, yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. And um, just just thinking um, about sort of advice generally to governors on on the kinds of issues and topics that they that they might be focusing on um, over the over the next few months in this unpredictable winter. Uh, Linda, from you know school school leaders um, contacting us and governors contacting us, what kinds of things do you think people are, are going to be most concerned with in the in the coming months? Well, I think that that the biggest concern is going to be um, kind of the the contingency plan that schools were were required to set up at the beginning of the year, how that's activated, how pupils are um, are are. Uh, are taking remote learning, um, how effectively that remote learning is being is being done. Um, I think that there's there's actually just a myriad of questions out there right now. Staffing is a big one. Well-being is big. Um, school, 
the, the, the focus for school governance is, is completely different. Even something as, um, as kind of bread and butter to governance is budget planning. Um, has had a massive spanner thrown into work. So um, I think the key word for governors as we go into this year is is, is flexibility. Um, you've got to be flexible in terms of, um, of, of how you monitor the school because the school itself will operate differently week to week and month to month. Yeah, yeah, I think the other one that's a big issue, and it's going to be a big issue all the way through this COVID thing, is the government's duty to look at them to ensure the well-being of staff and school leaders. I think that's going to be a really tough one because I, I look at teachers and head teachers I'm speaking to either online or you know in other forums, and you look at them, you think they're looking physically drained. Mm. They are burning out in front of you almost because you know take yesterday, you know the demands for the lockdown, the lockdown papers. And the DFE came out on the 4th of November. 5th of November, the lockdown starts. Now, I know some of the changes are for, for Monday, but even so, you to take that in in that length of time as well as do your job and a massive DFE document, it's, it's, you know, it's almost a burnout creator, isn't it? That's happened in every in every break that that that's that schools have had. Um, just a, even in this latest midterm break, there was a flurry of new guidance. Uh, so... I, and and I just just let me start by saying that I am amazed at the resilience that head teachers are showing right now. Just gobsmacked at how many of them are still standing, still moving, um, still calling for schools to stay open. And um, I I I just I cannot admire them enough. But that said, um, even I struggle to know how to support my head teacher right now because she's a machine. <laughs> And and I'd really like for her to take a break, but I don't know how to encourage her to do that because what is she supposed to drop in order to make that happen? Does she drop safeguarding? Does she drop, you know, remote learning? Because something's got to give, something. Um, and I, I, think, I think that's gonna, that's probably one of the core jobs of governors at the moment is to actually sit down with the head and say, what is it we really need to keep doing? Mm -hmm. And what things can we actually let fall off the lorry for a little while? Yeah. Yeah, and I absolutely. think they actually need to be brave enough to have that conversation with them and actually give permission for some things to be dropped. And also to demand that some things be dropped because a lot yeah. of head teachers will refuse mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. because that's just how they operate. Yeah, and it's... I think the other thing, potentially a challenge for head teachers and governing bodies potentially, is often in times of stress in a nation, people tend to latch out at the most accessible authority figure. Well, who's the most accessible authority figure to many of our parents? It's the school and the head teachers. And so I think there could potentially, as things worsen and people's economic situations worsen, we could find a situation where actually our head teachers do start to come into some flock. And at that point, they're going to need the support of their governors. Well, we're already seeing that with the Morrison's 10% discount. The, the response to that has been absolutely ugly um, and, and so undeserved. Yeah, and I think, you know, as, as we've said, those people who are running schools are, you know, are vulnerable because um, they're on the front front line dealing with um, children and families exactly where they are in, as you say, a worsening economic um, situation and also will feel very responsible for the safety and well-being of everybody in their school, which is something that is very difficult to switch off from at the best of times. And almost impossible just just now. So I think um, 
you know serious serious consideration to head teacher well-being and anything that governors can can do to make that person feel more supported and as you say more able to to, to park some some things um is, is positive i want to say hugger hugger head teacher but then i realize it's not really practical and, and, and also there's wider than that because you also then look at staff teams themselves mm. people have staff you know head teachers will be managing staff teams and governors will have oversight of staff teams where you know teachers will have another support staff in the school will have vulnerable adults that they're looking after will have concerns about their own children who might have health risks and they're going into school and what will the risk come from that so it's even wider than that well-being skinny link it's a whole school community and how do you how as governors we wrap ourselves around in a supportive way indeed indeed um that is really yeah really useful ad- advice there and is there anything else you'd like to to share with our listeners before we close any other top tips for governors focus for me would be that we've got to make sure that the well-being of the staff the whole school community is maintained as best as we can do through this crisis and we also need to be brave enough to give head teachers permission to let some things drop and that they're not going to be held to account for it six months down the line when we come back and say well you didn't do this and you said you were going to do that back in i don't know mm. december before covid yeah anything from you linda just a note about governor well-being um we've seen we've seen some uh some comments in social media governors are also burning out as well um and governors do need to look after themselves but i i just want to I want to be clear that governors need to look after themselves um, because this is this is definitely a case for for self care. Um, it, it, it it we cannot add the burden of our own burnout on chairs on school leaders. This is something that we have to manage on our own. So please, governors, take care of yourselves through all of this. Do what you need to do to maintain your own well being. Um, and and this is a it's a particularly important role for me it's the vice chair of governors mm. who needs to really be quite proactive in supporting the chair of governors through this you know quite often historically vice chairs has been a relatively passive role i don't see that as a passive role at this point in time i see this is very much being up there alongside the chair of governors contacting them is there anything i can do to help Great point. and actually being really active in supporting the chair of governors with the burden they're carrying mm. they're carrying an immense burden too Great stuff. Well, thank you both for making time to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.